Welcome to a podcast with Aaron Schultz. Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thank you so much for joining in. Live life with an outback mind is really saying that we need to be able to be more relaxed and less stressed in modern life. Live uh, more, uh, I suppose, with freedom and. Um, I guess, you know, as men, we're, we're doing that more and more by having open conversations and, and hearing stories of lived experience from others and, um, you know, certainly being more vulnerable these days to be able to open up uh, about how we, uh, we feel and, uh, and how we can sort of move through life a bit better. Now, today's desk, uh, guest, Justin Kashitsky, um, ex-AFL uh, player with St Kilda, number two draft pick, I think he was, almost 20 years ago now and um, was a great player. Uh, for the Saints, uh, almost won a flag, uh, got um, very close with the drawn grand final um, and then unfortunately lost the following week. Uh, but uh, certainly we're going to talk about uh, the footy career today um, before it sort of eventuated with his uh, childhood and coming into the AFL but also exiting the AFL and the trials and tribulations that that, um, that brought, uh, you know, also maybe some challenges um, uh, which Justin experienced in the AFL with concussion and I guess some of the ramifications that came from that and also some mental health challenges possibly as well that uh, he may have uh, faced or maybe seen uh, in others around him. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy our conversation. If you'd like to check out what we do, uh, please check out the website at backmind.org.au. Uh, if we can help out in any way to be able to do some men's work in your area, maybe do some domestic violence prevention, which I think is very, very needed, um, please sing out, uh, reach out via email if you can, and I'm uh, more than happy to do what we can to, uh, to help out. Appreciate your po- uh, feedback on the podcast as well. Just uh, shoot us an email, support at outbackmind.org.au. G'day, Justin. Warren, how are you, mate? Uh, good, mate. Uh, really good to have you here. And, um, uh, mate, I think we've been talking about doing this for a fair while, and it's actually good that it's, um, it's good uh, you know, to, to finally catch up and have a yak, mate, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's uh, followed your stuff for a while now and um, really intrigued with what you're doing and, yeah, it sort of coincides with the, the career path I found myself on. So, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for your patience and the time's come. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason, doesn't it, you know? And um, we'll talk about the work you're doing now, which I think is amazing, but um, I want to know a bit about the young Justin and uh, growing up in the bush. And I know your family, the Kashitskis, um, the Kashitskis are a very strong family in the Wimmera Mallee and Warwickville, and I know your family originally sort of come from there back in the day and moved up to Aubrey Wodonga, is that right, up that area? Yeah, that's right, mate. We've, like, I think I'm a, uh, my probably fifth or sixth generation wheat farmer, um, and you know, the family migrated from, from Germany, like in the mid-1800s, yeah. to the to the Wimmera, uh, Warwickville, and a are still really relevant there. Um, and then my great-grandfather and his brother, they left left the Wimmera in 1921 um, and found land in uh, just out to the little town called Brocklesby, the outside of Aubrey. And, um, yeah, so they set up there. So we had 100 years on the property that we're, we're still on now, two years ago, which is 
which is pretty significant, and it's uh, the bloodlines are really thick. Mm. So you, your, your dad's still there, or your family's still there now? <laughs> yeah, dad's still on the farm. Uh, Mum and dad are still living in the house that I grew up on. Mm. Um, my middle brother, he's on a, another one of our properties, and, and he, he runs the show, or, or he's with in conjunction with dad. He's mm. uh, built it into a significant... Significant lot of land and a pretty pretty successful business, so it's still there, and I'm I'm really grateful. You know, it's my sanctuary, and somewhere I go to escape, and you know, I, I go to escape, but I get put put to work pretty quick. Don't worry <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, there's no mucking around with that sort of stuff. That's for sure. No, it's <laughs> like, oh, can you just come and give me a hand with this? And then the next thing, it's three weeks later, and I've been sitting on the header for three weeks doing twelve hours. <laughs> it's pretty common. A lot of blokes that have been on this that are from farms have uh, had the same. I oh, had the same story, so I, I get that. Mate, tell me, um, what was young Justin like as a footballer back in the day? When did you realise that you maybe have uh, had a bit of talent? Uh, look, I was always a, a mad footy tragic. Um, you know, from you know, mum, my mum tells the story of when I was about five or six years old and uh, watching the AFL Grand Final, and and they were they were singing the national anthem, and I think I turned to her and said. I can't remember clearly, but she she says the story that I turned to her and I said I'm going to play big footy one day and I'm going to stand on that on that ground. So mm. I think um, intentions were there pretty early, but you know I wasn't I wasn't a I wasn't an amazing junior footballer. I, you know, missed a lot of rep sides and only really realised that I was going to play at the elite level when I was 17 and made the Bush Rangers um, and and state level it for the first time when I was under 18. So mm. quite a late developer. Mm. And um, you were just playing like for one of the clubs around the area before that, and just sort of doing okay, but nothing brilliant. Yeah, um, pl- played all my junior football at, at Brocklesby Footy Club, mm. um, and at, the, at that time we only had we had seniors and reserves, and under fourteens. We didn't have thirds. We didn't have under seventeens mm. and under fourteens. So, uh, Dad was a coach, um, and I think when I was nine, I started in the under fourteen. So. I think looking back on it, it was a good grounding because you had to play out of your weight division and you sort of developed skills and learnt to play against kids a lot bigger and older than you. And then when it, when you were too old for under 14s, it was straight into senior footy because we didn't have a thirds team. So it yeah. um, was sort of, sort of straight out of the under 14s in a, as a 15-year-old playing senior footy um, with, with men and uh, big bodies flying around. So mm. I think that held, held me in good stead for the next step I had to take. Did you get to play seniors before you played for the Bush Rangers, like in, not in the reserves, in the senior team? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I played uh, two years of senior footy for Brocklesby uh, as a uh, 15 and 16 year old, and then uh, the next year as an under 18 for the Bush Rangers. Mm, amazing, mate. So it just sort of took off for you from there. You obviously got a bit of attention, and that was the year you got drafted, is that right? Yep. So. Um, yeah, as a, as a bottom age under 18, I didn't even get a look in or invited. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of years of senior footy, was one year in the Tut Cup. And um, honestly went to the start of the Bush Rangers training thinking, you know, no chance of even making this squad. There's 120 kids over a wide area. Like there's Aubrey, mm. group in Aubrey, group in Wangaratta, group in Shepparton. So it was a, it was a huge catchment. Mm. You know, 100 odd kids trying, trying out for 40 spots and thought I was no chance. And then... You know, just chipped away and sort of evolved and I made the Bush Rangers squad and then made the team for round one and, and you know, was quite capable. And then, you know, by mid-year, played in for New South Wales in the under-18s and was All-Australian and 
um, you know, it was like it was like overnight. All of a sudden, the, the AFL clubs were interested, and uh, managers were calling up. And it was probably mid that year that I, I sort of, you know, started to believe that I could play AFL footy. Kelly Kelly O'Donnell was coaching the Bush Rangers then. Yeah, yeah, Kel was um, great man. Kelly O'Donnell, he he had a, a really significant impact uh, on me as a kid, and and I think he was before his time as far as preparing or preparing kids for the elite level. You know, he, he, had, he had time in the VFL as a Melbourne player and a lot of experience, but, you know, he, he told it as it was and he was straight up and he was no bullshit sort of guy. So I really owe a lot to Kelly for that, that first sort of um, 12 months preparation leading into the AFL. Mm, amazing, mate. With regards to, obviously, everything happening really quickly, you are... You were picked up as a number two pick. I reckon there was a lot of um, attention put on you, a lot of spotlight put on you, and um, you know you would have thought, "What the hell is going on here?" I am a young bloke from a farm. Next minute, I'm uh, across every newspaper and TV channel in Australia, and I'm uh, off to the AFL. Uh, you know, with high expectations of myself. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I think, and I credit you know my my upbringing, my you know humble humble roots growing up on the farm and a very modest family and you know everything's built on the back of hard work and you know the the discipline it takes on the farm and you know you, you have to work for everything you know everything's a bit of a struggle you got to get on a bus to go to school for an hour and the opportunities aren't there so yeah. looking back on it i think i probably took it in my stride a little bit which was was good and i wasn't really um exposed i, I guess to the fame and the, the bright lights and and it all sort of happened really quick and um, but it was it was a big deal like moving from from a couple of thousand acre backyard to a to a, a suburban house in you know in, in suburban Melbourne and, and rocking up an AFL club it was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, just on that, who were you living with back in the day? Uh, Nick Rewell, um, who you know is still one of my best mates. Twenty three years later, we we were drafted together and. Mm. Uh, we, we lived together for three or four years when we first... He, he was a kid, you know, we were polar opposites. He was he was a kid from the Gold Coast. He was living on the Gold Coast at the time. And, you know, I come from rural New South Wales. So two two totally different environments. But, you know, we're, we're both 18-year-old kids with, uh, with a bit of footy talent and, and the same goal in mind. So we gelled pretty quick and um, went, on, went on a long journey together. Did you have self-discipline back then? We, we, I, I think Nick probably did. He, he was sort of testament with the way he sort of went about it. But was there partying and that sort of going on back in the day? Um, yeah, look, I think I think we all had it to some degree. There was, <laughs> um, you know, what eighteen-year-old kid or what twenty-five-year-old kid really doesn't doesn't like going out and experiencing stuff and um getting amongst it and letting your hair down and, and being a bit naughty but yeah. um I, I think it i think when you get into an environment you understand what you need to do and what um what certain behaviors if you if you beh- behave in a certain way you're going to lose that opportunity pretty quick and you know grant thomas was my first real coach and he was a real strong mentor and um believed in what we were doing and guided us in that way but you know he let us let our hair down at the right time but we were pretty focused on the end prize and um very fortunate i reckon to be in that environment as a kid because you know who know what who knows what would happen no that's that's true mate so um, because i'm uh, yeah you know i'm a bit of a lad and i like a beer and I, I, I like that side and there was always room for it but 
it definitely got reined in um, to a level where I could perform at a good level. Yeah, that's true. And good on you for listening because I think a lot of young blokes, I was, I'm a bit older than you, but a lot of young blokes um, back before then or before you didn't listen too much and they probably didn't make the best of their uh, their, their abilities, you know, so good on you for being disciplined to, uh, to move through that. Yeah, I think uh, listening's a great skill and, you know, it certainly wasn't perfect and, uh, you know, a lot can go wrong when you're in those formative years of adulthood, uh, especially, you know, young boys, a lot of testosterone, a lot of fearlessness and um, it's, it's uh, I'm really privileged to have been put in an environment where that could sort of be reined in and your energy's channeled into a different career path. For sure. Who were some of the guys you looked up to? I guess Robert Harvey would have been around a few of them. Yeah, well, it's, it's ironic because I, I work with Rob again now um, as Ross Lyons come back to the club and Harv's a senior assistant, um, so a little bit of work with him now. Uh, the, the biggest influences as, as a kid for me were Aaron Hamill and Fraser Gehrig. Mm-hmm. They were they were traded into St Kilda the same year as Nick and I were drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron had come from Carlton in the 90s, which were a relentless, um, you know, successful team, so, so he was... He walked in and really showed up, showed the kids how to prepare and what AFL footy really looks like. And the other one was Fraser Garrick, who, you know, was a Wodonga boy. So we had a, I didn't know Fraser, but we had a connection geographically that we grew up in the same area. Um, and he'd had that West Coast experience for five or six years. And they came in and really took Nick and I under, under our wing. And we'd probably learn a lot really quickly about what AFL, what it takes to prepare and how to compete at that level. Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. Extremely fortunate. They're probably two guys we don't sort of hear much of uh, these days, but uh, they were great players, you know, and uh, obviously disciplined, uh, you know, with the way they went about it, which uh, which showed, um, you know, in spades. So, so mate, um, you know, just, just talking about footy, um, obviously, were you with the Saints, like, 10 years or more? Uh, 13, I was, yeah. Yeah. So, like the, those earlier years, we'll sort of get to the, the pinnacle of the, you know, the grand finals and that, but those earlier years, how were you, I suppose, emotionally, did you sort of struggle and have ups and downs in those periods or did you sort of, you know, cruise through it pretty well? Um, yeah, the, the early years, I'm really fortunate, like, as I mentioned before, Grant Thomas was a coach and he was a great, um, uh, he was a great people person who organised pull an organisation together and, you know, he had a no-dickhead policy, mm-hmm. basically, and um, he went out and recruited kids with great character and talents and, um, you know, above... I don't think he was seduced by talent. He, he, he wanted character in the place and, and mm-hmm. people who could take it forward. So, And we were fortunate enough to have a lot of early draft picks that year. You know, there was Nick and myself, and then the next year was... There was Ball and Del Sano and Montagna and Matty Maguire and Xavier Clark. So we, we had we had a lot of talent mm. um, and we all got to grow up and, and, and really come through those years together. Um, so very fortunate in that, that role. Mate, just on Grant Thomas, uh, this, is, this is what I don't like about, you know, business or footy is I believe from the outside he was doing a good job and then he sort of got duck shoved to the side. Uh, yeah, look, I, I wasn't privy. I was, I was a young man. I wasn't privy to what the policies of the footy club and, you know, why, um, what the total reason was. But, you know, from the, almost as a player, the admin stuff, you are looking from the outside as well probably. So I, I couldn't understand it at the time. 
it was like, you know, we just played in pre, two prelims and, you know, we got bowled out maybe in the first, the qualifier in 06, and then all of a sudden he was out the door. But um, it, was, it was it was pretty hard to take, you know. He was sort of the only real senior mentor that I'd had and a lot of us had had and didn't understand it, what, what was going on politically behind, but, you know, mm. whatever. Oh, mate, you know, and just, just from a mental health perspective, I've seen it happen. You know, I know Scott Waters and he coaches the Saints. Same thing happened to him. But, you know, there was no – it was ruthless with regards to exiting people and, uh, and, and leaving the system and um, no follow-up, no, no care from the club back then, any of that sort of stuff. And that's when you can really find blokes struggling and, and falling off the perch. Yeah, it, it's a ruthless industry. And, and, you know, from right from the players to, to, to admin to boot starter, like this – because it's – and I think – in elite anything, in an elite environment, whether it's, you know, a law firm or, you know, a building company or something, there's always somebody striving to take your spot, right? So mm. um, when you don't perform to a level, and I guess it's more highlighted in AFL because it's the results are everybody's judged on premierships and win, loss and where you finish on the ladder. So, you know, if, if that's not happening and you out of the eight a couple of times, there's there's a lot of people's jobs at Jeopardy and it's not just the set players or the senior coach, it's admin, it's the board, it's, you know, it's all the, all the recruiters and everybody behind the scenes. It is it is a ruthless industry. And I've, I've been, you know, back in the system 12 months now and that's the thing that stands out, that, that nobody's really safe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mate, I, I, I just, I don't know, like... For me personally, I, I struggle with it. Like I, I couldn't really thrive in that corporate environment because you were on edge all the time and it's probably a little bit like um, some AFL players like Tom Boyd, for example, that was on here last week. You know, he, he maybe struggled with that, that sort of mentality as well because you are on edge and if you do have issues with anxiety or anything like that or you are like an empath like, you know, Tom and I discussed, you, you may struggle with, with that sort of um, uncertainty and it's very hard because it's unhealthy uh, to be in that mindset consistently. But, um, um, you know, as long as you've got an exit strategy, I think it's really important. You know, you maybe have three scenarios of what it might look like if, if you do go out, what's, uh, what's next possibly, you know. Uh, and I think um, a lot of people in business and a lot of people in, um, in sports sort of, you know, come out the other side uh, struggling because they haven't got that awareness. Perhaps it might, might have changed now, but back then it was probably a, a bit different, I guess. Yeah, certainly back then. But I was just about to say, I think they're doing it at Clubland a lot better now. Um, you know, and you mentioned you mentioned Tom Boyd, and, you know, I I applaud what, what he did and the courage that he showed to say, you know, this isn't for me, this is not how I want to be judged, this is not how I want to live my life. Um, as a maybe early 20s, I don't know, how old was he, 23 or 4, yeah. you know, with a, with a big contract and the potential to, you know, pro- possibly play another 10 years and, and go after all the accolades to, mm. to um, have the courage to step away from that and follow his dream and look after his mental health, oh, I think just... It, it spoke spades to the person. It's just, I think it showed a path to other people that it's not the only, you know, just because you're good at something or you've got God-given talents, it doesn't mean you, uh, you're restrained to that. And I think footy's come a long way in that. And I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I reckon it was around 2015 when Buddy Franklin put his hand up and said, you know, I'm mentally struggling here. I need some time away from footy. And they were going into a final series. Mm. And for him to have the courage to say that and for the Swans to have the courage 
or the the care about the person and not about the results to say, okay, we'll support you through this. You're our best player, but we don't we care about you as a person, not about what how many goals you can kick. Was real testament, and I think the the guys now realise that. Whereas you know back when I was playing, I didn't have the courage to to put my hand up and say, look, I'm really mentally struggling here. You, you wore a mask and you pushed through it to your own detriment. Yeah, for sure. No, no, I, I know it, mate. I, it's, it's it's so common across all all walks of life. Did you did you feel like that back in the day that you might have been struggling a bit and you you could have done the same thing? A hundred percent. And I, I I always say, you know, I have a little bit to do with the academy guys here at the Saints that these kids that are coming in, I, I speak to them about it. I say, like, vulnerability is real strength. Like, mm. confide in your team psychologists, confide in the coaches and say that I'm battling a little bit because, you know, you, you, you show that you want to help yourself. People will come and help you from everywhere and, and help you through it. But I look back at my career and there's certainly stages where I felt like going, I'm done. Like I can't do this anymore. This is this is too hard. But because of stigma and because of what the percep what what people perceive you to be or should be like, mm. you know, men don't cry. You're tough. You're a footballer. You've got this opportunity. And I, I think I was like, I didn't want to step away because I'd never get the opportunity back, mm. uh, and I didn't have the courage to look after myself like like Tom did. So I think it was just a Amazingly courageous decision. Yeah, I agree, mate. Absolutely. I um, I just um, you know, I also applaud you for recognising it now and uh, and so forth. But what what uh, what I'd like to you know sort of understand is why why did you feel back then that you you couldn't do something? Like, was it there's a lot of um, uh, that sort of stigma still hanging around? And um, did you have people in your life that you could talk to? You know, in confidence that um, that may have kept it. In confidence without sort of getting out i guess there's a fear of other people knowing how you're feeling too or there was yeah yeah i, I guess it was an inside job you know like that was where i perceived myself and what i thought that i needed to be um you know i think i i I'd struggled at times with with uh whether it be form or the expectations um of, of being a high draft pick or uh or whatever or injury or you know not being able to perform it at the level and the constant scrutiny that's just you know in melbourne it's a religion right so you pick up the herald sun and it's front page back page like everything's analyzed to the nth degree like you certainly feel that when things aren't going well um yeah and you know I, i did have people in the corner but it was it was not having the courage to be vulnerable and saying that i'm i'm not going that well here so you know i think that's changing um, by people speaking about it, and and I think the clubs are very well, or a lot better, in a lot better position to accommodate that sort of stuff now. Yeah, and thanks to people like you, obviously, uh, for what you're doing. But um, yeah, you've certainly come a long way, mate. I think there's so much, lot much more we can do. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's great that, that things are changing. And I'd like to know, you know, was it 2012? You guys got close to winning a flag. What was that sort of like for you? Uh, 09, oh, 09 we lost the grand final to yeah. Geelong yeah. Uh, by a kick and then 2010 we played in the draw against Collingwood yeah. uh, and then obviously lost the replay so you know we were as, as I mentioned before rightly or wrongly an AFL club and people's careers are they're benchmarked on winning a premiership yeah. um, and and you know the runner-up, no one cares about the runner-up or the, the other 17 clubs that didn't win the premiership that year. Yeah. 
um, no matter what they've been through or how good a team or how much adversity they've faced or how well they played, um, it's all it's all benchmarked on who wins the premiership. So that's the business we're in, and and I, I can and you're not a great you're not a great team or a club unless you've won a premiership. But I look back on that era of eight, nine, ten when we were sort of prelim grand final, drawn grand final. I we were we were a great team. You know, we 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 spent you know eight or nine years together. We we're very well drilled, very disciplined. Um, played some exciting footy. I nine, we won nine and straight. Mm. Now we won't lost three games for the for the year, which is in anyone's books a pretty successful year. But because we we lost the grand final by a kick, you know it seemed as a as a yeah, failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a shame, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like it, it just it just goes to show, like with most things in life, how we have a goal and a destination, and whether that comes through successfully or not, it actually gets forgotten about pretty quickly. Um, yeah. You know, and all that work we do, sort of, I wouldn't say it's not worthwhile. It certainly is because it's 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 doing us good and it's character building and doing all the great things uh, behind it. But it's just those expectations that we get judged on, which I believe, you know, are really um, uh, people are going to be cautious with what that can do to their their mental well being, and when they're not um, getting a, an outcome like that expected, uh, that can that can really knock us around. And, and I guess. That's that is one of the things that we uh, that we struggle with. I reckon this expectation, and if we don't meet our expectations, that's when we can sort of go seesawing with our emotions a bit, and um, and that's what knocks us about. Would you agree? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, it's highlighted in this industry, and and I've struggled with it for a long time. And it's you know, it's thirteen years ago since we we lost the grand final, but mm. there's still something in you that you're judged on whether you won a premiership or not. Mm. You know, and then yeah. you. It, it takes time to realise that outside of that, you're still a good person. You're still, you know, a, a father. You're a family member. You're a good mate. You've got good work ethic. You've achieved a lot of other things. Um, but uh, it's very, hard, very difficult, especially when you get so close, right? And you, you lose one, and then you draw one. You know, you can't get any closer, and you you feel like your whole identity revolves around whether you won that game or lost it, which yeah. is. Um, it takes a while to understand that that's not the be-all and end-all of life because, you know, I've, I know of premiership players whose lives are in absolute tatters and, and guys that didn't even get close who are really moral, um, authentic, successful men. Mm. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really define you. Yeah, no, well said, mate. So when you – I haven't really, like, uh, looked at what you did, um, you know, post your career, but what was it like sort of coming out of it? I, I think you left on your own terms because of a concussion and that. Is, is that right? Oh, mate, no one leaves on their own terms. Um, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> some, some, some guys get the, uh, I guess, get the respect of saying you retire, but, you know, no one leaves on your own terms. You get the tap on the shoulder no matter who you are, no matter how many games you play, they just say, you're not getting another contract, so I'll give you the opportunity to say you're retiring. But mm. I I knew in myself at uh, the end of 2013 that I couldn't have gone again. You know, mentally and physically I was cooked. Mm. Um, you know, I, I felt like I'd got the most out of me. And, and the reality was I, I couldn't compete at that level again. So, But in saying, if they gave me another contract, I would have hung around, mm. you know. Um, and I would have, I would have tried again. But um, yeah, I, I was, I was certainly done at that level. Mm. What happened when you, when you come out? Like you went into the media, and that I think from memory is that right? Uh, I didn't. I did a bit of radio special comments, but never really went down 
down the media path. I, um, you know, I, I just turned 31 when I finished, and I can remember thinking at the time, you know, I was married and a mortgage and two young kids, you know, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I can remember thinking my life's over. Mm. You know, that, that was the mindset that my whole identity in life has been... And every bit of my energy has been putting into being a footballer and, you know, winning a flag or, or whatever the goal was. Um, and then thinking, what, what am I going to do now? It's a big, scary world. And how am I going to pay the bills? And how am I going to look after my kids? And what actually is my identity? So, um, but now realising at 31, you, you've hardly started living. Um, and there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot to go, a lot of water to go under the bridge. And navigating through that period is, is bloody difficult. Oh, I've got no doubt, mate. Yeah, you're right. I, 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 I know the feeling myself, like from being made redundant, primarily the same thing, the decisions made for you, and all of a sudden you, 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 you go into this uh, self-turmoil, and I got suicidal myself back then, you know, once that um, I just felt worthless, and I felt um, uh, like I didn't want to talk to my wife about it, and I just had to... I needed time to recover and reset myself, but it was just straight into looking for another job, you know, not uh, not actually like having time to like just reset. And, and that's that's a real problem with blokes is we just sort of got our foot on the accelerator. We don't know how to take it off when we actually get a sign like that. And yeah. uh, and that was a real, real, real wake up for me that that, that sort of, you know, took me on a, on a different direction. Um, yeah. First and foremost, but um, but it can be tough. Yeah, you know, and, and understanding that you need to you need to almost take that time and go easy on yourself. Like I'm, I've been out of the game ten years and don't really feel like I've still found my feet and my purpose. Like I, I feel it that's moving in the right direction and and being in the space that I am now and the the role that I'm playing. But you know, for for a long time I was lost at sea and and didn't really understand myself and didn't. Actually, um, you know, I might reframe that. I don't think I, I, I don't think I turned and faced my problems and took ownership of mm. who I wanted to be and what I wanted to represent and, and what my new goal and purpose was. I think I just ran from it with a whole host of maladaptive behaviours, and mm. um, I, I can feel the shift now that I'm starting to own it and um, and and take real significant step forward. Forty-one, mm, too, mate, this year, so. Yeah, it's time to time to get that anchored down and then uh, live the next part of the, the life, you know, making a difference, I reckon. But um, sounds like you are. But so what, what did you do? You, I think you mucked around, did some labouring and bits and pieces uh, along the way. Yeah, no, I had a crack at most things. I, um, first first job out of footy, I was, a, I was a salesman for one of our major sponsors and, you know, with LED lighting and solar that I really didn't give a shit about. Um <laughs> You know, and it was just, you know, that what's the next step? And mm. sales sales is soul-destroying, mm. whichever way you look at it, especially <laughs> when you don't really believe in it and um, and whatever, and it's just a means to it ends. You're not really living your passion and, and your life. So, but I, you know, I hung around in that for four or five years and, um, you know, and battled away and, and then moved up north, uh, up to Ballina, Byron area. Um, and I did all sorts of things that I despised. I, I worked in a, in a in a quarry, a rock quarry, and drove the dump truck for a while. <laughs> I had a little bit of a little bit of a touch of footy at the Suns as a development coach for twelve months, and then COVID sort of knocked that on the head. Mm. Um, and then for mate, for a couple of years, I was I was building and cleaning swimming pools. You know, like like what the hell? 
Mm -hmm. It was just, uh, I was just, just swimming and, and as I said, not facing the, the real underlying issues and getting on with life and just, just surviving basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Oh, geez. Yeah. I, I understand. And yeah, lots of, lots of triggers come back to me then when you were talking about that just survival mode and it's not a great place to be, you know, um, I think when you were playing footy, you had a purpose at one point and you had that direction and that and you sort of come in and out of that too. But trying to find our purpose, and I think we've all got one. You know, we've all, all got one. And um, uh, young blokes listening to this that are, you know, trying to find their way through or an older bloke that's still, you know, undecided or just trying to decide what it is, what that purpose actually looks like, it's, it's really getting back to what what makes you feel good and what actually, like, you know... You can do to make a difference because I think we've all got the ability to do something that we're that we're good at and we, we can thrive in a particular environment that we can thrive in. Um, it's also to be able to do that you know more on your own terms too, and have the ability to uh, work with people that are that are like minded, which can help you thrive. And you're not in fear. You know, it's one of the, the worst things about us guys is if we get into a workplace and we're we're fearful of our spot or you're an AFL player and you're fearful of your contract and that there's nothing worse than that, you know. Uh, I just think to try and create an environment for yourself where you can feel safe is, is really important and, and you know, do do things that uh, really light you up, but I think is key. Would, would you agree? Yeah, well, I think when you change your mindset and you find something, it's professional expression and it's not work, right? So if you if you determine it as, as work and you don't really like it and you... You, you know, it's Sunday, it's Sunday evening and you're, you're full of anxiety. You oh, oh no, the, week, the weekend's over. I've got to go to work tomorrow. Like, you're not really, you're not really being authentic to yourself or your family or anything, are you? Because, mm. you know, you, you're just doing things to survive. And, and I get that a lot of people have to do that and they find themselves in that way. But it's, you know, finding something that, you know, I, I say to my kids and, you know, they, what am I going to do? They're only, they're only, 12 and 10 you know what am i going to do when i get older and i said look just just don't worry about it but it's important to first of all find what what fills your bucket and what motivates you and what you're passionate about and follow that because you know you don't want to get on the treadmill of life of turning up and taking orders and and working for an organization that you don't believe in or um, you know it's soul destroying and a lot of mental health is or poor mental health is is tribute to that yep 100% too, mate. I couldn't agree any more. And yeah, like, you know, a lot of us get lost. We, we need we need that guidance, you know, and these these are the conversations that would have been great for you uh, to have when you finish the, finish, you know, your footy career. What 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 do you really feel like to, doing? Where What would you really love to do? And I think you've got to really dig deep to find that sometimes. Uh, yep. You know, surface level uh, comments, oh, I'll just do this, I'll just do that. That doesn't get to the core of you. You've got to like look really um, deeply inward to, to actually find that, that core purpose. And I, I think it, with a lot of us, it's actually been there since we were, we were young. We just sort of uh, have done other things and diverted away from it. But I know, you know, what you're doing now is really um, getting close to it because I think you've got such a, a great ability to be able to help others. And, and coming from a farm, you know, those, those ethics and um, those, that simplicity is, is there. You know what it's like to live an easy, you know, simple life, you know, having to walk a K to get the bus to school and all that sort of stuff. That's, um, that's, that's pure essence of humanity. You know, you're actually doing things which, um, 
which are quite joyful and uh, you know how to handle all conditions. But when you sort of get swept away from the simplicity, that's when our, our mental health seems to go a bit haywire possibly as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and just touching back on, you know, guys coming out of elite environments, whether it's sport or, you know, the military or paramedics or anything like a high, like a corporate environment or it could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a position now to, have some influence with the young kids at St Kilda, the academy guys that are 18, 22, and, and, and rightly so, their whole focus on their footy career. Mm. And they think that's going to last a lifetime. Mm. But like having the insight now is to go back and say, I understand that you need to put a lot of energy and time into your career, but it's very short-lived. And please take the time to explore what you, what you like, what you're passionate about, and start you know, even if it's just, even if it's a flicker of light and you, you go and study something or you go and learn about something else mm. so that that transition is a little bit easier, um, a little bit easier at the end and it doesn't come because, you know, I sort of didn't have that that foresight and when it ended, it's like, holy shit, what am I going to do now? Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a big smack in the face. Yeah, no doubt. No, no, I, I agree and, and thanks for sharing that, mate. I think... Um, you know, I'm living away from Victoria now. I was unfamiliar with um, with what you're doing, but also the Danny Frawley Centre. And um, Danny Frawley was a guy which was from uh, you know up up near Ballarat, um, and just a soul of the earth guy, very similar to yourself, I think. Um, and he took his own life a few years ago. And thinks uh, so. Since then, there's been uh, obviously a bit of a legacy created around him, and um, uh, I think St Kilda's like really worked hard to to honour uh, Danny and his life. And and I think where you're working now is uh, is obviously trying to um, uh, help people be be better above the shoulders, a bit more conscious above the shoulders uh, with the Danny Ferrolli Centre. Are you enjoying it? And and can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, I, I really am. You, you summed that up well. Like, you know, Spud was a, a significant figure in, in our club and um, the history and his his journey and his career. Um, you know, and then was a was a successful senior coach in his own right. And then, you know, had his his mental breakdown and his own mental issues, and he was so so open and uh, proactive in helping others. And then, you know, tragically, um, you know, he passed away in two thousand and nineteen. And uh, Anita and his daughters, um, uh, Chelsea, Danielle, and Keely, they they were really passionate about making a difference and, and providing a, a place for for people to come and you know and help their mental fitness, if you like that term, and, and build a mental resilience so that you know you don't get the crisis stage and you know it's it's all about protecting or help pe- help help people build their own build their own toolbox to be able to to survive these sort of things. So. You know, my lived experience and, and the ups and downs that I've been, you know, and I've been in some really dark places and, um, you know, fortunate enough to still be here. And, and that's my passion now is that, and, and what my legacy, or I want my legacy to be is is to help educate and help people find their own passion mm. um, and get through and, and live authentic, successful lives. Yeah, mate. Oh, look, you know, I'm really grateful that you, you explained it that way and uh, that I've had the conversation with you and you were able to share this with others because, you know, there's such an important message in there. If people are struggling to be able to, to have a conversation with someone that can help draw that out, I think it's really key. 
what we do uh, in, in modern society is we sort of get tied up in knots sometimes with the clinical model and uh, it doesn't sort of get us um, you know, too far. It's definitely necessary in, in, in a lot of cases, but if you can sort of uh, find yourself struggling a little bit to talk to someone that's actually got the ability to give you direction, I think is, is, is tremendous and, and follow that through. One thing, um, Justin, that we, we have problems with in Australia is a lot of guys don't have strong male role models in their lives. Uh, and that also you know, goes for guys that are older. They're, they've had uh, you know, probably poor leadership from their dads uh, due to you know, overwork and all those sorts of things and, and not being present. And I'm, I'm victim to that. I'm also you know, responsible for that sometimes with my own kids too. I, I understand that. And it's a real, a real problem that, um, that, uh, that we, we need to face because um, a young man needs and needs uh, guidance and love and, and direction. And um, if we don't have that, then we feel a bit empty and that can take us, you know, on all sorts of paths. Um, put your energy into drugs and alcohol, put your energy into something else, but your, your core issue hasn't been dealt with. And um, I, I just think there's so much work we can do to, uh, to help support young people coming through, but also to help those older ones that need a bit of, uh, bit of direction and, um, and, and purpose as well. And, you know, I think we all need we all need someone in our life or a couple of people in our life that we can um, we can talk to regularly about anything and, and you know good or bad or whatever and um, um, you know that's probably a, a real gap there and it's probably more more resources and more need need to go into that preventative side rather than the um, the other side perhaps as well. Absolutely, mate. Like, yeah, there's not you know, and I'm speaking to if we can speak to men now, and you know, I. I I think maybe eight, eight out of the nine suicides in Australia every day are male, you know, and because we haven't learnt those techniques to be able to open up and, and speak to someone and share the load or, or own your own shit and take yourself in the right direction. Mm. Um, and that's just, you know, how we're brought up with men don't cry and this whole false, um, uh, false whatever it is of, of masculinity like you need to carry the burden of and people feel it you know they need to carry the burden of your business and your family and you, you need to be the strong one all the time but you know we're quickly learning that strength is vulnerability and being able to do that and a big part of what what we do and the the message that i love to talk about is that sure a lot of people and a lot of men struggle but there are people out there that don't that actually don't know you know what? A, what um, chronic depression looks like, or don't, or have got the natural ability, or their lifelong skills have taught them to get over things and, and still be okay. Yeah. And I like talking to those people because their ignorance around it um, can cause damage, right, to other people. And it's I implore people to understand, even if they don't haven't felt it themselves, but to understand. Um, what, um, what, what other guys and your mates and other people in the community could be going through, and to look out for maladaptive behaviours in their mates and their peers and whoever, especially in country communities, yeah. you know, where where there's not that many people. Whether it's, I've noticed my mates drinking more, or he's overspending, or he's not socialising, or he's, you know, he's. Um, you know, turning down invites to, to a barbecue. He hasn't been at a local footy for three weeks in a row and without judgment going to him and saying, look, I don't understand what you're going through, but what can I do to help yeah. is, is I think, going to make the biggest impact. Yeah. Oh, mate, for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's having that awareness. 
do you know what you, you really touched on something important there is we we have this sort of uh, mindset where we're, we're only operating in a, in a small bundle of emotions you know you'll judge or criticize or compare or whatever men primarily we don't have great emotional literacy we actually don't yeah. don't really understand we might have intellectual uh you know literacy like be, be a smart person uh but primarily we've got the emotional intelligence of a teenager it has it's been yeah. arre- been arrested at that that age and we haven't actually developed so this is a yeah. real area that you know I'm, I'm passionate about and trying to do more to help guys understand that that those behaviors that got stuck there years ago can be moved on and they can be uh, they can be expanded upon, and to be able to develop their awareness to not be not be fearful of vulnerability, not be fearful of um, you know compassion, all those sorts of things which help us uh, be a, a more whole person, rather than being stuck in judgment or fear or blame or criticism, criticism or comparison and that sort of stuff. And that's that's not a great a great you know mindset to be in and that's what a lot of people are in and i think we've got to do work to be able to help people move from that you know mate we we do these these men's circles where we get guys together and we have open conversations and guys that are you know quite stuck once they hear themselves in other people they'll start to really dive deep and open up and you know, there was a young guy there last night that uh, 27 and just just lost his um license for drink driving and um he was judged by his uh by his peers you know but they're all they're all drinkers and that too uh around it all but but no one really has listened to him and, and his story and why he sort of got to that you know level of behavior and he opened up to us last night to explain you know all the dv that went on in his life when he was a young boy and um you know, with for him and his mother, and and you know he bottled all that up, didn't really tell anyone, didn't say anything to anybody, and all of a sudden he's thrust into adult life, and he's um he's behaving a certain way, and uh, you know struggling, and and I was so proud of him to 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 come to something last night where he was by far the youngest person, but he was able to feel the ability to express how he actually really felt for the first time in his life. Um, which I think is is really really important because what we helped him understand is he can break the cycle uh, of uh, of what's happened in his life and some of the others that are around him which are still behaving at a lower level of awareness and uh, I just think if we can help people learn that they've got the ability to do something really different and 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 empower them uh, that can help a hell of a lot you know we've done a great job in society of disempowering people. But we haven't done much mm-hmm. to actually really empower them well, and um, um, yeah. you know, having that emotional literacy and be able, being able to teach that and develop that in people that um, may not be as aware, I think is uh, is a, is a is a big big need. There's a, there's a big need, but also it's going to help um, those nine male suicides a day. You know, eventually sort of get back to um, a lower number because we'll actually have the ability to be able to see where we're at and don't, we can do it on a daily basis to keep balanced, I suppose, rather than sort of go up and down and, and try and avoid the things that make us do that. Yeah, and it's and as you've done with, with sitting around the fire, it's creating an environment where people feel safe uh, to be able to have authentic conversations and actually take, tell their truth. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's no real secret that a lot of, Men carry carry a lot of secrets and harbour wounds that they probably don't even know that they have. You know that they've learnt over the generations. You know how many, especially in in country rural areas and farms, and you know that my grandfather did it this way. 
so my dad did it this way so i'm learning father can you haven't actually been able to step out of your grandfather or your father's shadows and become a man you still might be a 40 year old emotionally intelligent boy mm. you know that you that you've just done it because you know and it's not their fault that's how they learn but mm. i think it's about breaking that cycle and actually taking ownership and um you know and, and it's our responsibility for the next generations to teach these young boys and and give them the space to go and make mistakes or own their own path you know that they can put this you know the, the trauma behind them and, and get on and and be true masculine men yep well said mate absolutely yeah agree and a lot of that uh, intergenerational uh, behavior and intergenerational trauma gets passed down but if we can help people understand now that they can arrest that and divert it Particularly if it's a you know a father of a young man, they can actually see a, a change which can help their boys be be a bit better. And um, you know we've we've had to carry a lot. Um, you know you're very lucky you've got such a great lineage of, of men and and, and uh, people that have been on the land in your life. But um, you know whether whether someone has had that privilege or not, I think that we can still empower people no matter what they've been through to be able to turn the corner a little bit and start to do things which can help them, um, you know, no, no doubt at all. We've seen so much change in Australia, you know, since you were a young fella and I was, um, there's been so much more multiculturalism in, in Australia now, there's so much more diversity and we've actually come a long way with our, our awareness around that, but um, it's being able to embrace, um, you know, what, we, what we're capable of and be able to help others, um, um, you know, be better versions of themselves because I think one of the traps that we fall into Australia in, in Australia is um, this uh, this this you know comparison that we have and this judgment that we have of, of others and actually the acceptance of, of ourselves and the acceptance of others is really key because it's, it's such a hard body thing, thing to do. Well, it's all about self, right? Like the only person that can help yourself can help you is is yourself, and it, mm. it's like. Until you take ownership of your own stuff um, and, you know, and, and try and forge your own and learn about yourself and forge your own path, mm. you know, somebody can be there. But as, until until that penny drops, there's no real progression in, in how you're going to live your life. No, agree, mate. Absolutely. No, no, well said, mate. We, we could definitely um, continue this conversation much, much longer, but I know you're busy and... Um, I want to know if anyone's listening, if they wanted to reach out to you, what's the, the best way to do that? Uh, through the Danny Frawley Centre um, is on the website uh, or through LinkedIn on the Danny Frawley Centre. We, we, do, we do programs, you know, mental health resilience programs from anywhere between primary school kids to footy clubs mm-hmm. to, to senior footy clubs, schools. Uh, we do a lot of education around the pitfalls of social media and, you know, adolescents that go through body shaming or comparison issues or all that sort of stuff so mm. it's uh we're not a center for crisis um yeah. you know if somebody is is having suicidal ideation or is in real real drama and needs immediate medical uh help um some sort of hospital or facility that's we're not that we're, we're all around mental fitness and teaching resilience and and teaching and and or maybe not teaching but helping people open their eyes and coming becoming aware um that they are the master of their own destination and they can make a change within themselves if they do the work um and we can help facilitate that mm, it's an empowerment facility and really yeah. yeah yeah that's that's what we need more of like uh, i think you know sadly the education system is, is quite disempowering in many ways 
and uh, a lot of life can be, but if you can, can find something like what you're doing to help you learn skills to, to thrive and, and empower you, I think that's that's great, mate, and actually give you the ability to to learn different ways of living. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're, you're teaching great things with regards to building people's emotional capacity and that they're already. And uh, I think that's going to get better and better as time goes on, mate. So so what Danny fully left... Um, you know, is, is such a, a great legacy to him, but it's having so much of a difference and it's probably saving a lot of lives already, mate, and I think you're a, a big part of that as well. Yeah, no, thanks. It's, uh, well, you know, it took a tragedy to build this, but, you know, that is his legacy and his, his wife, his widow, Anita, and, and his three daughters are very passionate about it and they've been a big driver as long as, uh, along with the Singapore Footy Club. So um, it is a great thing and, um, you know, I'm... My, my path has led me down this way with adversity and what I've had to face and deal with. And um, But, you know, I'm learning to look at it that, that it had to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It had to happen to put yourself in. You're always in the right position. Um, no matter how bad you're going, things need to happen for you to grow and evolve. Like, you know, you, you can't build resilience without adversity, right? So that's how you look at that adversity and, and try and change it and, and build your resilience going forward. So... Uh, it is a good place and, you know, I'm in a good good position and a good place to, to give back and, and help a lot of people. Yeah, mate. Everything happens for a reason. I reckon if you can see it positive like that, then we open ourselves up to what's possible and, uh, yeah, without sort of shutting it off. So, uh, mate, mate, cliches are cliches for a reason, right? <laughs> That's it. I think the best for you is yet to come, mate. You, you've done your apprenticeship now. And now you can start to really, um, you know, find your, 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 your real niche and your purpose. And, uh, mate, I'm so grateful for the chat. I'm grateful that you're, you're able to have it with me. And um, I'm sure plenty of people will listen to this and share it far and wide because it'll help a lot of people out there. So thank you. You too, mate. I, uh, as I said, I followed your stuff for a while. And um, I really uh, applaud what you're doing and creating safe spaces for a lot of men out there. And um, you know, you're making a real difference. So it's an honour to, to talk to you today. Yeah, Cheers. Appreciate it, mate.